You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. All right, we're back. Tristan, good morning. Caitlin, good morning. Just the three of us today. Good morning. Good morning. There is no truth to the rumor that Towner, Patrick, and Mark are at the final four. <laughs> I won't blow their cover, but they are at the furthest thing from the final four. Actually, I will blow their cover. Patrick is changing diapers. <laughs> Mark's at an eight-year-old birthday party, and Towner's taking care of family. So... They are at the furthest thing from the final four, but I do wish uh, Towner with his blue devils, Mark with his uh, wildcats and um, Jim Davis, our colleague in Harrisburg with his tar heels. uh, Good luck over the weekend. And of course, Stuart, Stuart Shorenstein, our beloved colleague in New York, also on the blue devil Blue Devil bandwagon should be a great, great, great Final Four. And um, that, you know, the world of college basketball is making sense. You got four powerhouse teams who have all won multiple NCAA championships in the Final Four. That makes sense. The rest of the world doesn't make a lot of sense. The world is is off its axis. Um, And I guess it has been for a while, but... You know, you had since the last podcast, you had Joe Biden ad lib the suggested removal of Vladimir Putin from power in Russia. And you had the winner of the best actor award jump up on stage and slap the host at the Academy Awards. If 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 you ever needed evidence that the world is off its axis there, there it is. You know, Caitlin, we're doing a presentation later today for a client called Making Sense of a, a Disrupted World. I think our clients are asking us, you know, they're focused on business. They're they're asking us about inflation. They're asking us about what Washington is going to do about inflation. How do you make sense, Caitlin, of the disrupted world we're living in? Well, look, we talked about it a lot this week. I mean, it's it's bleak. Things are not looking great. We've got, you know, um, 40-year high record inflation. Uh, just yesterday, President Biden announced he was taking the pretty dramatic step to um, tap into our strategic petroleum reserve. I think that's the, this will be the largest drawdown in the 45-year history of the strategic reserve. Big concern about what that's going to do. I think one fifth is we're, we're drawing it down one fifth of its current capacity. Um, you know, hopefully that'll help in the very short term alleviate some of these record high gas prices we've been seeing. But uh, it's been kind of panned by by many experts as just simply a band aid to what's really going on. Um, we, we're still, you know, it, well into the second month now of the um, war between Ukraine and, and Russia. We've got some frustration about Ukrainian aid and dollars that Congress has appropriated and Biden has signed into law, not making it to Ukraine in a timely manner. We've still got massive supply chain issues. 
um, hearing news about some potential, which Howard, I'm sure you're going to talk about at some point, you know, potential additional disruptions to the supply chain through, you know, some of the, the organized labor. And it's, it's all this to say, it's messy. It's messy. Yeah. Tristan. You know, it's, it's been, it's been a while since, um, since we've been in this predicament for, you know, in international affairs and domestic affairs, I think the president has had a um, very difficult time balancing both. Um, you know, we have issues domestically, we have issues internationally. You know, it, we are in a position now where we've never been before. And in, in, in we still are in a pandemic, ultimately. We still have pandemic issues. We still have the the um, you know supply chain issues that come from that came from the pandemic, health public health issues that come from the pandemic, um, the return to normal, whatever that looks like. So the president has had a hard time, I think, pivoting from one to the other. But let's let's keep in mind that there are things still going on in Washington that are beneficial to a lot of Americans. This week alone, they the, the House on a bipartisan basis yesterday uh, passed a bill to cap insulin prices at $35. For so many Americans across the country, in my own house included, have to spend so much money for life-changing or life-impacting medication and that's going to be capped at $35. Now, there's, there's arguments on both sides of that, but so many Americans who have already been strapped financially for the last couple of years, we'll see that change very soon. There are conversations being held now on a bipartisanship basis in the Senate to have some more COVID relief aid um, to so many different uh, uh, entities. So there are things that are still happening, but to Caitlin's point, you know, uh, there are a lot of issues that are kitchen table issues that the White House has failed to address uh, to address so far. And I think now it's showing in not only the polls, but also showing in the in the popularity of the White House across the country. Yeah, I I don't know that I would necessarily call a bill that 12 Republicans voted for bipartisan. Well, hold on. I was going to get there and say, actually, the Senate actually does have a bipartisan version of that bill. But the House really uh, decided to go it alone on this one. On, on the insulin. Insulin bill. Yeah. But. You know, what I see is conflicting agendas, guys. I mean, for example, yesterday, Biden invoked the Defense Production Act to facilitate production of increased levels of critical minerals that are used for electric vehicle batteries, for example, and batteries generally. Um, guess, guess where you get them? You pull them out of the ground. Guess who doesn't like mining? Environmental groups. Um, obviously, EVs are good for the environment kind of generally, but conflicting conflicting agendas. You know, increased production of petroleum um, that conflicts with climate. I mean, I, I think Biden is in a position where he has to do things because of geopolitical and domestic pressure and and the the inflationary environment that are counter to the basis on which he ran the platform on which he ran for for president and by the way that's like just part of governing 
deal in the reality, you're actually governing, not talking about governing. There's a huge difference. Um, but I, I just think he's in this, he's <laughs> everything he's got to deal with. It, it means something else he's not dealing with. And generally it's something that was like central to his agenda, often climate related because that's a future crisis. We don't have to worry about that now. I'm being a little tongue in cheek on that. Um, it's just, it's a tough, it's very tough to be Joe Biden right now. I have to say, you know, and, and the interesting thing is I've, I've turned a chapter in my political thought mm. over the last couple of weeks. You know, I've always been, let's work together. Let's find common ground. Let's have some type of bipartisanship in moderate philosophy. You know what? I, I actually don't give a damn anymore. Um, I think that the I think the president has tried very hard over the last two years to find middle ground to work with with folks on both sides of the aisle. What has shown to be the, the case of the last two years is that that doesn't work. Elections have consequences and the preparation for elections have consequences. And I think Republicans are going to prepare to take the House in, in January. They're hoping to take the Senate as well. The White House will still be in Democratic control. I think he needs to do what he promised to the base at this point. He's done everything on the moderate side. He has been the middle even though he doesn't get credit for it from Republicans. Wait, 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 wait. wait. I, he has. He and I, I think I think he needs to handle yeah, but he, student, can't. he needs to handle student loan reform. He needs to handle like I, I don't care what happens on the other side. Executive order the hell out if he has to. He has tried hard, but right now Democrats are falling apart internally because he has failed to do progressive issues. When he's tried to work with the other side of the aisle, and he's not getting credit for it on any side. So Bill why not? Better was not trying to work with the other side of the aisle, Tristan, and that show that exercise showed he doesn't have the votes, he doesn't have the margins to appeal to the progressive base. He needs to moderate and focus on what can get done in Congress. You know why he doesn't have the progressive votes because he hasn't done anything progressive policy wise. No, and they are and they are pissed with him. He didn't have the because he though, has worked with he has he's worked with Republicans across the aisle entirely too much to the to the progressive argument, and so now that hasn't worked policy wise. He hasn't accomplished much by doing that and having that strategy. So the next thing for you to do is strengthen your base. Republicans are doing well with that. I have to give you all credit for that. They are strengthening their base and committed to the Republican values. Might as well do on the Democratic side. Might as well be as progressive as you possibly can between now and December and accomplish the things that you want because the base is going to be pissed regardless. The elections know, are going to happen. Moderate Dems are pretty frustrated right now. Speaker Pelosi is pretty frustrated right now that the progressives tanked and stripped COVID relief, a good chunk of COVID relief from the omnibus spending package. So I wouldn't exactly say, now we're having to renegotiate that whole package because the progressives pitched a fit at the, at the last minute and stripped needed bipartisan COVID relief from the bill. So now we're having to renegotiate. I completely disagree, but. I mean, progressives have, progressives have always been loud. Moderates in the House have always been loud. I'm not saying that the party is not split into idiots. I, I will be the first person to admit that my party is literally split down the middle. But guess what? That's what makes us a very much a strong and big tent party because we have different philosophies and we don't tamper down and we don't kick anybody out and we don't hold them accountable 
for anything because we value those opinions. What I'm saying is, is right, that at this point, what I'm saying at this minus Joe Manchin, what I'm saying at this point is might as well just go out, go all out. Jim Clyburn came out a couple of days ago and saying you need to handle student loan reform. Might as well do it because it's not going to get done in, if we lose the house in, in January or when we lose the house in January. Tristan, so there's not saying, the votes for that either. What they're saying is he needs to do it through executive order, which arguably he could do now or he could do post-November. There are a couple of things he could do executive order. For massive student loan forgiveness across the board. My point is that at least on the bigger picture stuff, like he should be bowing at the altar of Joe Manchin because can you imagine what the rhetoric would be right now with the inflation that we've got in the economy if we'd done a multi, an additional multi-trillion dollar package? I mean, the, the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco came out in the last week and said that the all the COVID aid that the U.S. did over the last couple of years has greatly contributed to the inflationary environment and to the delta between the inflation in the U.S. and the inflation in other parts of the world because the U.S. did more in the way of COVID relief than 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 any any other government did and any other major developed developed economy did. I sh- I should say. Um, and and by the way and and. The Eurozone is catching up to us and there are lots of things that have contributed to inflation. But my point is that a lot of the things, at least as it relates to climate, for example, um, are in conflict with the things he's having to do with respect to Ukraine, as an example. And it's it he's he's in a he's in a tough spot. And I don't think he can do Tristan some of the things he'd like to do that are bigger picture longer term without making his short term problems worse than they already are. He's a very calculated person. Uh, and I, and I, I agree. I think it, it would be a step out of the norm for Joe Biden to do some of the things that I, I personally expect him to do um, that some of the party members expect him to do. But that that's what the problem is, is that's that's who we elected yeah. as a party. That well, that's, look, that's that's the person that progressives voted for. Listen, I mean, I have said and I maintain he was the best candidate in 2020. And thank goodness he is the president and not Donald Trump, because I can't imagine what the world would be like right now if Trump had the reins and we were dealing with war on the European continent with Trump in office. I, I shudder at the thought. but. <clears throat> I'm not sure that I agree that he's a very calculated person. Um, I mean, he is from like a policy point of view behind the scenes, but then he goes and gives a speech in Poland and ad libs on the removal of pat from power of Vladimir Putin. Which, that has all that has always been Joe Biden's fault. Yeah, but but he, Tristan. He's, he's always been he's, more important to stay on script. I, he's I, the I, president I, of the United States. I completely agree with you. I, I, for, I personally feel like it's, it, I cringe every single time he gets to the podium because I feel like he is his best when he is behind the Oval Office door and making I phone calls and doing Yeah, things. but a big part of being president, a big part of being president is being out 
front and, and the messaging. And we talked, I talked a lot um, in the run up to him taking office and, and in our weekly codes and currents, we, we did a section on this about, um, you know, typically every word matters. The, you know, having been in the executive branch, whether you're in the white house or you're in one of the cabinet agencies, every single word is sweated over because it has meaning. A comma has meaning like every, literally every word matters. And you can be sure that his staff wrote and rewrote and rewrote the rewrites and et cetera on that speech he gave. And then he ad libs, I think very dangerously on like, I I'm all for (laughs) none of us like Vladimir Putin, but you can't ad lib about the removal from power of the leader of the other major nuclear power on the face of the earth. You can't do that. When you're playing right into his hands too. Yeah, you can't, you cannot do that. That is, it's, that's horrible, horrible, horrible governing. And I am sure I know, I, I know what his staff had to feel like when he did that. I mean, head in hands, you know, what the heck was he thinking? Like, you don't do that. And gosh, this White House needs more discipline. I think think the the measure of discipline in the White House kind of went out the window four years ago. Um, it was kind of, I, I think the, la- the last, la- these, this administration, the last administration, I think they should create a position for just discipline. That, 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 <laughs> it needs to be a whole office but, of disciplinary action. <laughs> yeah, of the president. I mean, but look, I mean, Biden, the reason I say thank God he's the president is because I wanted to get away from that. I'm not equating Joe Biden with Donald Trump for our, some of our loyal listeners out there who may be prone to sending me emails after the show, screaming at me in all caps. I am not equating the two. But the fact of the matter is, like, he won because he was supposed to be the anti Donald Trump. And gosh, he's got to act the part. Gosh, it's. Totally agree. Yeah, you can't, you cannot do that. So pivoting to more controversial subjects now, um, Caitlin, what, what, what else did you hear from clients this week? I know there was, there, there were some interest, there, there's a lot going on in town around antitrust issues, around um, convergence of power in particular, in the, in the hands of particular companies. It's a, Trust busting is a big theme, uh-huh. um, making its way through Washington. Um, talk to us about that and other things that crossed your desk this week. Well, I would say not just in big tech, Howard, but in every industry. I mean, we had a, a client um, speak during the FTC, held a listening session on consolidation and monopolization in the meatpacking industry and how, you know, what's been happening with the big four meat packers 
seriously increased prices on American consumers on everyday meat items that we eat every day and and the problems and struggles that smaller um, smaller players in the market face getting processing space, getting their product to consumers. Um, at this session, we heard from some small farmers talking about how you know they used to be able to sell their their um, pigs for you know three times the amount that they're currently able to sell on the open market today because of the domination of the big four. And what I would say is we're seeing, this is very bipartisan across the board. We are seeing frustration and a rise up against consolidation in, in, in these marketplaces, whether it's tech, whether it's grocery, meat, the meat industry, um, whether it's um, airlines, and, and we are seeing sort of a, a, a rise up and, and, a, and an increasing frustration as American consumers are taking a look at these rising prices and inflation is obviously a big part of that. But saying, why is it that I only have you know four choices at the grocery store? Why is it that we can't get some of these prices under control? And we're seeing it across the board with every client in every industry. Yeah. Tristan, what crossed your desk this week? Well, it's appropriation season. Um, it is uh, the return. I, I thought they just passed the they did, last appropriation. They, the, ink ha, the ink has not even attempted to dry on that piece of paper. <laughs> uh, and we're back in conversations again with um, with the House Appropriations Committee, as well as um, uh, potential earmarks uh, going in. Now, the, the interesting part is that this year, um, you know, last year they had 10 earmarks per member of Congress. This year, they've increased that to 15. Um, so there are more opportunities for folks to get funding. They've actually created more pots of money um, in various subcommittee groups. And so there are more grant fundings. They, they're, they're literally going to, in my opinion, uh, throw money at everything that, that they can. And so that's, that's a good thing for clients and not much of a good thing for our national budget uh, or deficit. <laughs> uh, again, being a, a uh, a, a budget hawk myself, but at least there's opportunity for the money to flow down to organizations that need it. Um, and You're a budget hawk, but you want all these progressive priorities there, Tristan? You're a little uh, mixed th to this so, morning. So Sorry, I, I throw it in there. Show me your budget. It shows me your values. Um, I value the fact that uh, that um, so many people are, are drowning in education debt. I value the fact that so, so many people have health care issues. I do not believe that we need to invest more in climate issues. I do not believe that we need to raise taxes on certain individuals, but I do believe that we have off offsets for certain things. If you sit down and actually look at the budget, which hasn't been done in decades almost, um, as as a House Budget Committee or a Senate Budget Committee, you can find ways to pay for things, but you have to actually take an interest in that. Listen, and so yes, I do have an issue with with the budget, but I also believe that we have the money to pay for certain things to make sure that Americans are put on their feet. There's um, the so much fat that can be trimmed from government. Very much so. <laughs> from every government. I mean, government is inherently inefficient. The the motivation is to spend every dollar. I once worked for a guy when I was at Exim Bank, who um, a chairman who decided he was going to save some of the money we were appropriated, not and not spend every nickel to show that he was fiscally responsible. Which, from a from a policy point of view, from a American point of view, I was all for. But guess what? We never got that money back. 
um, if you it's, it's use it or lose it, that's the mentality in government. Unfortunately, people aren't incentivized to perform well. They are. It's just a fact. I mean, I think there's a lot you can do to motivate people in government. And I think people in government are patriotic and doing public service. And I think, I think the way the federal bureaucracy in general is managed is, um, and not just federal, state and local too, even worse sometimes, is so in need of a different perspective. But as it is, it's just, it's just incredibly inefficient and you know, filled with waste. You know, it, it's always been, well, it's, it's, it's always it's the laws of way. nature. It's, it, it's, it's been that way for a while. You know, my, my first job on Capitol Hill was, was a budget committee staffer, which is why I'm so entrenched in the budget and working for a blue dog, Ben, um, who was also a, a budget hawk. He taught me, he says, you know, people think that the budget is hard. It's not hard if you can count. <laughs> if you make if you made a dollar, you don't spend a dollar twenty five. And so being able to understand that, not saying you don't need, you know, you can't buy candy when you don't need it. But if you know that you can't afford it, don't spend it. And so yeah. being able to make sure that you can count is so important. But we haven't sat down as a country and said, how do we look at the budget? How do we make sure we don't tax and spend or just overspend continuously for yeah. decades to come? Not saying we can't afford it, but the things that we want, but just make sure we have paid for. I'll tell you what's on my desk this week from a number of different clients, and that is public safety and security and and not just physical safety and security but cyber safety and security i think if you step back from ukraine covid climate you know the big dominant issues that are facing the country today and you look at what's actually motivating people what's actually like dominating the dinner table talk and the coffee house talk, it's, it's security and people, I mean, it's stunning how less, how much less safe people feel today than they did two years ago. It's stunning how the, on, on a local level, the dialogue has shifted from defund the police to, um, we no, want more police in, in two years. Again, like, I, gosh, when they write the history of this period, it's 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 just it's hard to make sense of of where we find ourselves and like why is crime up so much in the last couple of years? It's obviously got something to do with COVID and where we find ourselves, and I I, I can't explain it, but. I know that it's, I know that it is going to, it is, and it is going to continue to dominate politics and how people cast their votes and for whom they cast their votes and um, the 2022 midterms and state and local elections and, and, and 2024, the, and things just change in a heartbeat. It's just, it's just stunning guys. Stunning. So the, the political pendulum swings very fast. And I think that we are in a winner position where most Americans are going to vote in accordance with their lifestyles. 
They're going to vote yeah. based upon what's what going on dealt, in their lives, what they've dealt with for the last two years, whether it be health or whether it be, you know, the inflation issues. They're, they're going to vote on that. And I think the issue is that um, we're going to have this cycle of political narratives over and over and over again, because peak candidates are going to talk to those issues and make a lot of promises that they can't keep on both mm-hmm. sides of the aisle. And what bothers me so much is particularly on my side, I can't talk too much on the Republican side because I'm not in, in those circles on the campaign side. Um, but on my side of the aisle is that we have candidates who run with, I can do all these things, but you're one member of Congress in the House out of 435. And if you're in the minority, that's even worse. And so what we have to realize in politics is start to make to, to make the public understand that, yes, I will take your voice to Congress, but making all these promises and you know building up this false hope for a lot of Americans just sets them up to be let down in a couple of years or or next year. And I think that's what the 20, you know, 20 election did for presidents is so many folks had these this hope and this, I can get this or I can achieve this, and it hasn't happened yet. And the pendulum is going to swing in 22 because of that. You well, know, and I think that's where you and I might fundamentally disagree. I think in 2020, so many people came out and voted and said. I am voting against Donald Trump, not for Joe Biden and the progressive agenda. Well, again, it was it was a different opinion. I think that's what they vote. They voted for they voted for something that was different than what was there. And I think either way, their hopes was it's going to be. And to Howard made this point, it was going to be different. He was not going to be the same person who was in the White House. It was going to be, you know, he was going to hold, he was going to actually hold briefings in the briefing room. He was going to talk to reporters. He was going to do things that hasn't happened yet. I think once, once we set those hopes up in campaigns, when that pendulum swings after the fact, it swings very hard and it could be detrimental to the party in charge. Yeah. As you know, Mark, in hindsight's 2020 and Mark very uh, correctly called me out many, many times during the Trump administration when in the early days I said the pivot was coming and we were going to pivot <laughs> to a more normal presidency. I remember that. Yeah, that was not not so correct. Um, the moments there along the way. Uh, didn't, didn't quite end that way. I think your use of the word yet, Tristan, um, as it relates to briefings from the podium and transparency and and clear communication, I don't think the pivot, I don't think the Biden pivot is coming either, but maybe I'll be wrong about that. We'll see. I, I will say, I will say, I, I rescind my last statement of not knowing much about Republican campaigns, but I will I will say and congratulate the Republican Party for having more diverse candidates this cycle. Um, I, I commend you all for finally um, getting to the point of embracing and funding and supporting and pushing. I may fundamentally disagree with all of them running, but I love to see the fact that they are running because I do believe that we are in a position of not, we lean too much on one political party as it relates to people of color. I think it's important to have representation and voices ultimately in the room, and it will help uh, change the course of our political system and and hopefully change the course of our country. You're absolutely right, Tristan. I was at a dinner this week with Congresswoman Young Kim and Congresswoman Michelle Steele, two amazing, smart Korean-American women 
freshman members from California, hard swung districts. These are, you know, Orange County, California based districts that swung Republican, uh, even despite the top of the ticket in 2020. And I am just so incredibly impressed by some of these Republican women that we have on board, you know, that aren't sometimes making the headlines. They're not getting in the fray with, you know, the Trump and the Madison Cawthorn controversies and whatever Matt Gates said yesterday, but they are reading their briefing books, figuring out how to make government work better for themselves and their constituents, and really trying to, um, you know, we had a conversation at this dinner, it was all women, which was wonderful, about, you know, how we need more on both sides of the aisle, women in the room and in Congress, because, they know how to raise children and get things done, uh, multitask, be bipartisan, balance competing priorities, organize complex projects. And it was just, just thanks for saying that, Tristan, because I, I completely agree. And we've got some strong candidates coming in, uh, running in November. And I think you're going to see a wide breadth of some really phenomenal, diverse, more moderate, not super Trumpy uh, Republican women in the party. And we're really, really excited about well, that. We're, we're going we're gonna to end on that note because uh, there's some common ground and positivity and uh, you know, I maintain that this country is far more united than the um, than the folks that fan the flames on the extreme right and the extreme left would like us to to believe. And um, as bleak as as the picture may be, uh, you know, I think I think that the future of the country, I think still the greatest country on the face of the earth and we're innovative and thoughtful and, and we have a functioning democracy where people are empowered to um, speak their minds and run for office and and that's, and, and that's to be, that's to be celebrated and hopefully this too shall pass and we'll get through the, the tough times we're dealing with that. We've been dealing with for a while. Um, So let's end on that note. And thank you, Tristan and Caitlin. Great discussion. Spirited as always. And we will be back next week. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.